Our next guest is a professor at the University of Dubuque. She is a professor of Christian ethics. She enjoys talking about issues that are important, even though they may be difficult to talk about. One of those important issues is the Poor People's Campaign, which she will bring us through today. Please welcome our next guest, Dr. Dar. Well, thanks for coming and talking with us. Appreciate that. I went to your uh, conversation last night about the Poor People's Campaign, and you talked a little bit about that, uh, about how it started with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. So can you tell us a little bit about how it started and maybe why it started? Sure. Uh, So the original Poor People's Campaign started in 1968, as you say, uh, Martin Luther King and others. Um, It was an expansion of his initial uh, civil rights and voting rights, so building on um, those victories, uh, but recognizing that Uh, True liberation for African-Americans would not come without the liberation of all people from the sorts of economic oppression that they were experiencing. Uh, So it started then. They um, were marching. They set up a tent city on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., where they occupied that space for about six weeks. Unfortunately, uh, Dr. King was assassinated Uh, around the same time that it was really getting ramped up. So um, that had a really devastating effect on the movement. But 50 years later, uh, there is a grassroots organization of people that are uh, reigniting that campaign. So that is uh, started by um, uh, Reverend William Barber from the North Carolina NAACP and now Repairers of the Breach, and Reverend Liz Theo Harris, who works at Union Theological Seminary. So uh, it's They've been organizing for uh, several years now to uh, help people to uh, identify their struggles and uh, how working together can help to overcome them uh, by changing policy and making some really big demands um, that that people take care of the people. And so it's like you said, it's, it's come back after 50 years. Why do you think it, it's been ta- it's taken so long to come back? You think it's gotten to the point where it's better, people didn't think about it, or the people that it's really affecting don't have the ability to speak out? Why do you think it took so long for it to come back? I think that's a really great question. Uh, I think that there is something about this political moment that um, things have gotten worse in a lot of ways. Uh, we continue to see the rich getting richer and the poor suffering more and more. Um, people are sick and they can't go to the doctor. People can't make ends meet. Students are accumulating an astronomical amount of debt. Um, so I think that people are hurting and, and people want something to believe in. They want a vision, something to pursue. So uh, I think the Poor People's Campaign is is building on some of that momentum and some of the energy that we've seen from organizations like um, Black Lives Matter, uh, th- what happened in Standing Rock, that people are seeing that people power um, is inspiring and actually can affect some change. And that kind of brings us to the next point about the big five of our dominant culture. And uh, I'll quickly on the, the big five, and they're all of different value, of course. Um, but systemic racism, poverty and inequality, ecological devastation, war economy, and national morality. So let's go back to that first one, systemic racism. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Right. So they've identified these key areas, but recognizing that they're all interconnected. So the um, the part about systemic racism is recognizing that we still live in a, in a society that is characterized by racist policy uh, and the legacy of racist policy. So um, we see uh, a pretty significant discrimination 
um, in wealth and uh, wage income, right? So as I said last night, the things like mass incarceration, uh, we have fewer voting rights today than we did uh, 50 years ago when the Voting Rights Act was passed. Um, so uh, really thinking hard about how the legacy of racism is still impacting us today. And when you talk about that uh, systemic racism, that's something we talked about in your class, uh, Christian Ethics, quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And going into that book by Jim Wallace, America's Original Sin, mm -hmm. we talk about um, how it's rooted in our system right now between the laws and how we have, have come to grow in here in America. I think now we're trying to extract some of that out, and it's a very difficult process when it's written in your own laws. Uh, and the next one we talked about was poverty and inequality and the difference in wages and you had some uh, interesting stats if you want to share those. Yeah, sure. So um, one, I think, really important statistic is that the CEOs, uh, thinking about how much CEOs, the top five, excuse me, the top 100 CEOs in our country make versus the um, how much an average worker makes. And um, the ratio is shocking. It's actually 827 to 1. And that in 1970, just for comparison, the ratio between a CEO and an average worker was 45 to 1. So um, the economy has grown exponentially in that time, but that, that growth is not benefiting all of us. It's only benefiting a few of us. And one generation, especially your kids that are in college who are suffering a massive amount of debt, um, and all these college kids come from different places, so it's very hard to not only get into college, but continue to stay in college. That's right. And additionally, the minimum wage uh, is so low that in most places you can't afford uh, an apartment on minimum wage. That So we're seeing more and more people that are having to get more than one job and having to rely on a social safety net that we're very quickly unraveling. And yeah, and you also said there are college kids that are starting to have to live out of their car. And there are college kids that don't even have a car, let alone being able to live in one. That's right. Um, and the next one we talked about was ecological devastation. Um, we talked about New Orleans and Flint and how these issues kind of get pushed aside. Uh, so let's go back to New Orleans. Um, mm -hmm. They're still recovering after uh, Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and as far as Flint, I would say just about everyone can, can tell you, yeah, there's something wrong with Flint. I've heard Flint in the news, but maybe don't know about it. Why do you think these issues get so quickly pushed aside and forgotten? Mm -hmm. um, I Lots of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, one reason I think is our 24 hour news cycle that's constantly looking for something new. And um, we've lost our attention span for, for those kinds of issues that we need to see something really big happen in order for us to pay attention. Unfortunately, the lack of clean water for an entire community is not big enough. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really important. And also the, um, the attention that we pay to different kinds of communities uh, is uh, remarkable. <laughs> and could you share what you talked about in Flint about extracting clean water? Yeah, sure. So on April 3rd of this year, the uh, state of Michigan recently, or they granted Nestle, um, the, that, the water bottling company, uh, a permit to double their extraction rates of the, um, the White Pine Springs, so uh, north of Flint. Uh, so they were extracting 240,000 gallons of this clean, pure water uh, a day, and now they'll be doing uh, around 500,000 gallons of water a day. So this is despite the com uh, incredible outcry of um, the public, and, uh, and they are now taking that water and selling it back to the people of Flint. So in the city, Flint was providing their, their citizens with bottled water for free, and they're no longer doing that. 
it's sad to think that we're letting this happen, but it's also sad to think that we don't hear about this. We don't hear about these issues mm-hmm. as much as we should. Right. Uh, another issue that is, I think, I can't remember what you referred to it as, but it's one of those that we can't really talk about, and that's the war economy. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, what did you say it was? I our, believe I described it as a sacred cow. <laughs> yeah, our sacred cow. And um, why are we in a position where you think maybe we can't talk about this or it's a very touchy subject? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that it's very deeply ingrained into our social conscience that um, the military is something that is untouchable in criticism for probably a variety of reasons. Um, but when we look at the amount of money that's being spent on our war budget and how much certain people are profiting off of war, um, particularly from the Christian perspective that is offered by the Poor People's Campaign, that's something um, to be concerned about, that people are profiting off of the deaths of other people. And I think it's hard to talk about, too, because if you say anything about it, instantly people are saying, oh, you're against you know, our military, you're against our country when uh, we should really just be evaluating what we're spending and where we're spending it and what are maybe better ways to spend that money. Right. And especially considering that um, 20 veterans per day are committing suicide and there are veterans that need care uh, after they return from war and that we're not caring about those people. Yeah, it's definitely an issue we need to talk more about. The fifth one of the big five we talked about is national morality. So speak a little bit about what that means, national morality. Sure. This is where they're really trying to get at the narrative of what kinds of things that we prioritize in our news media and in our social conscience. Uh, So really taking aim at if we are Christians, why do we focus so much of our attention on certain issues and not these other issues, right? So they single out abortion and gay marriage as things that have gotten an extreme amount of uh, news attention, right? People feel very deeply about those. Uh, but they also, the campaign really wants to lift up people who are, you know, poor, hungry, uh, suffering, that um, those needs are also um, deeply important, right? Jesus told us to feed the hungry and to clothe the naked and to visit those in prison. And those are the, the um, sorts of works of mercy that the campaign is really interested in lifting up. And Jesus, who was a poor man as well. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting that you say about abortion and gay marriage, which are very important um, things to talk about. But we also do forget that there are people out there right now that are dying because they don't have enough food. They're having to, to decide between medications and rent and food mm-hmm. uh, for their family, which are very difficult issues. For people that are ready for a change, it's important to note that I think this is not Democratic or Republican. This is a new way. So definitely the campaign does not see itself as attached to one party or another party. Uh, It's trying to create a new conversation where um, uh, we're bringing these questions to both parties because in many ways they're um, both parties are responsible for the situation that we're in. Uh, So I think it's a really important way that we can connect with other people. It's about building relationships and um, understanding that we all are in this struggle together and that we can support each other to do something else. So they have um, people of Muslim faith. They have many Native American tribes that are participating. They have a wide diversity of religious and unreligious or non-religious perspectives. Um, So really, the more voices that are present, um, it's a recognition that um, we are all human beings. And uh, when when human beings are treated unjustly, that is not a Christian issue. That is an everybody issue. 
So what do you recommend to maybe students right now that are listening that are really interested in starting something with the Poor People's Campaign? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I would love to see something happen on campus. So if people are interested, I'd be great for, to contact me and we can start meeting and, and talking about what that might look like. Uh, additionally, you can go uh, to the poorpeoplescampaign.org and uh, register so you can find out more information. Uh, so what's happening this next step is um, starting on Mother's Day of this year, they're going to initiate 40 days of nonviolent civil disobedience that will culminate a march or some sort of action in Washington, D.C. Um, but that's only the first step, right? Obviously, this is a multi-year process. We're changing hearts. We're changing imaginations. And it's going to take a long time. Um, but so there are lots of different ways that people can get involved. And one of the last things you said was do a thing. Go out and do a thing. And so today I'm doing that. I'm going to, I'm doing a thing. And I hope that uh, everyone listening right now uh, can, can do a thing as well. I hope that people are inspired to get involved. That's the only way that things are going to get better is when we do a thing.